For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Amen. Thank you so much, praise group. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Thank you for leading us to the throne of God so that we can open up his word and he can speak to us and uh, let us know what we need to do to be the irresistible church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to James 4.10. That should be a pretty familiar verse by now because that's kind of, this is one of the two verses, uh, one of the two passages of scripture that's our, <clears throat> our key focus for this study, being the irresistible church. Why is that important? Well, if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has given the church, if we're going to be the family of God, not simply belong to the family of God, but be the family of God that we've been called to be, we've been challenged to become, we have got to understand what it is that God wants us to do. And what he wants us to first do is use our obedience and our service to be irresistible to heaven. We want to be where God wants us to be spiritually, in our prayer life, in our service. And then when we do those things, God is going to bless the activities of his children so that we can then in turn be irresistible to the world around us. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as the church, right? We're supposed to be offering an alternative to the lostness and the darkness that's in the world. And that's what we're doing right now. And the way we do that is by approaching God in, a, in such a way that we, understand, he, that, that we understand our relationship with Him. The relationship between the Creator and the creation. And there's only one way to do that. And we, we look at that every Sunday, James 4, 8 and then 4, 10. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And in verse 10, which is we're going to look at a little deeper today, says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. One of the things that Brother Jerry talked about in Sunday school this morning is the idea of humility. The idea of humility. And I think that we really get a fresh idea of humility when we stop to really consider who God is and who we are. And what God has done for us. And what He requires of us in return. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Welcome to following Christ. If you're wondering how we do it, this is how we do it. It's not about the glory. It's not about the applause. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we are created to do. To glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. Sometimes that means finding joy by rolling up our sleeves and doing whatever jobs need to be done. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do the jobs that we think we may, we think we may be overqualified for, but that God has called us to do nonetheless? Are we willing to be obedient to God regardless of the place he takes us, and the assignment that he gives us. The 11th trait, I know y'all thought we'd probably never get there. The 11th trait of an irresistible church, a church that heaven and God loves to bless, is humility. Humility. 
This characteristic is demonstrated when the church follows the teaching found in James 4.10 that we just looked at together and humbles itself so that the Lord in due time can lift it up. To be humble before God is to be completely open to His direction for us. It's not to believe that we have it better in line, that we know what's going on better, that we're here and God's not, and that, that, that we know somehow that there is, uh, that we, and we get it in our minds that we know things better than God does. Humility is understanding that the God of our creation has chosen in His sovereignty, in His majesty, in His power, in His glory, He has chosen to relate to us. When we don't deserve it. Humility is understanding that God made salvation available to us in the person of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and in His death. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you and for me so that one day we would fall on our faces before the throne of God. We would fall on our faces, we would confess our sin and He would save us and grant us an eternity with Him. Understanding that there is nothing we could do that could make that possible. It's impossible to have a really healthy relationship, a really healthy understanding of who we are in relationship to God without, without humility. This teaching is also found in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, when Peter writes, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humility is remembering who we are in light of who God is. And that's just an incredible, an incredible picture for us. As Christians, we have a vital assignment that we don't want to miss. And it's easy for us to get, to get caught up in the many things that are going on in our lives. And because of that, we miss what we're supposed to be about. Do we do that sometimes? Do we just get so caught up in our daily grind? We get so caught up in what's going on in our lives and, and trying just to get through from one day to the next sometimes that we miss what we're supposed to, to be about. What God has created us to be. Who He has created us to be. But we're called to serve God and to pour out our lives into significant matters. And what are significant matters? Those are matters that have a bearing on eternity. Those are matters that have a bearing on the kingdom work that God has given us. Those are the things that are significant. The rest is, quite frankly, just either window dressing or irrelevant. Our chief goal is to be about the business of the kingdom of God. Sometimes what is significant can surprise us. Matthew 1042 says that even a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name can be significant. So we think, man, I want to do something significant. I want to do something big. I want to do something huge for God. And what God is saying, look, look at huge from my eyes. Look at significant from my eyes. Look at important through my eyes. Don't look at it through your eyes or the world's eyes. God says, I'm going to let you know what is significant. And what is significant are those things which cause us to know more about Jesus. Causes us to grow to be like Jesus and understand His ministry and try to apply His ministry in our lives. So
so that we can then live for Jesus. Those are the things that are significant. Our invitation is to represent, is to radiate Christ. We're called to be an ambassador for Him, to think like He thinks, to speak what He speaks. Our calling is to serve God any way that He asks us to do. Doesn't matter what that looks like. Doesn't matter what He calls us to do, where He calls us to do it. Our, our calling is to serve God whatever He asks us to do. The Bible says in John 10, 10 that the devil is intent upon destroying us. One of the prime ways that he tries to destroy us is by distracting us. If he can keep us off mission, if he can keep us distracted from the work that God has called us to do, if he can decrease our effectiveness in the kingdom, then he counts that as a tremendous victory. Because we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're not being obedient. If our eyes get focused on the delicacies of sin, we're much less likely to fill our souls with Christ. The true bread of life. And because of that, it's very easy to become distracted in our calling. Stories told of a centipede that was traveling down the road and a mouse scooted up beside him and said, you have so many legs, how do you know which foot to put forward first? You know, I've never thought of that. The little centipede said. And as he began to consider all the possibilities, it distracted him so much that he couldn't move forward. He was too busy trying to figure out which foot came first or second or third. He was worried about the process. He wasn't worried about doing it. The same is true for us. Humility keeps us from being distracted it keeps us from missing our main assignment. The opposite of humility, of course, is, is what? Is pride. It's the opposite of humility. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, calls pride the great sin. He wrote this, Pride is essentially competitive. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. As Christians, we're called not to be above the rest. We are called to be one of the rest of us. We're called to bring all of our gifts and talents, whatever God has blessed us with, whatever God has gifted us with, we're called to bring those to bear all together with no one gift being more important or more powerful or more uh, awesome than the rest. We're called to bring all of that to bear in this world. Pride entangles our feet so that we don't know how to walk. It rears its ugly head whenever our attitude about ourselves or our, our positions or our possessions or our accomplishments goes beyond justifiable self-respect. C.S. Lewis continued in his book, he says, The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. And it's better to forget about yourself altogether. Certainly a healthy type of pride can exist. I mean, it's not wrong, for instance, to be proud of your, of your heritage or proud of your daughter's soccer or softball team. Or it's not, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But pride becomes sin when we think of ourselves as better than we are. 
or we start believing that we're the ones that are ultimately responsible for our success, or when we simply focus on ourselves as the center of the universe. One of my favorite dad jokes, and you can plug anybody, you can plug anything into this, but, it, but the, the, the question is, how many whatever does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is one. They just hold the light bulb and the world revolves around them. How many of us think that? How many of us, if we would be totally honest, the way we live our lives indicates that we think that the universe exists to serve us. The Christian understands, the, the maturing Christian understands that, we, that the world doesn't revolve around us. We exist to serve in a world that God has created that has drifted from Him and that desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. And we do that by preaching it, we do it by teaching it, and by sharing it, and by living it. And it takes humility. It takes humility to understand that. That dangerous kind of pride that the this thinking that the world revolves around us can be insidious, it can be destructive, it can be vicious, it can be evil when it's found in our churches. Pride can take the form of entitlement. We believe we uh, deserve a certain success. It can take the form of overconfidence. It can kind of subtly segue into an, into an air of superiority where we begin to feel bulletproof. One of the times, and I have been so reminded of this over the last couple of months as I have watched this church family come together in this time of crisis and seen all the great things that God has accomplished while we have not even had an opportunity to be together. But one of the things I've been so reminded of is this. Never, never, never believe that what God is doing that is so awesome is a result of anything we have done. We are simply vessels that are being used by God to accomplish His purposes for His kingdom, for His glory. And when we start thinking that the great success of the church, whether it's money or whether it's membership or whether it's, it's fantastic programs that attract people from all over to come in, when we start thinking that all of that great success is because we have done something, that's when we need to understand and we need to step back and really take a look at who's doing the miraculous things. Who's doing the great things. It's not the staff, it's not the teachers, it's not the membership. It is Almighty God that is doing the work, that is getting the glory. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Not to man. And that, that's, where we need, that's where we need to be. With a few successes under our belts, I think we can begin to think that whatever way we may view the situation at hand is the right way, without question. And it's easy when you do that to slide down a kind of a slippery slope into unaccountability, to resistance to correction. Part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives is correction, is it not? None of us are beyond the need to be corrected occasionally. 
And humility helps us to remember that. Humility before God helps us to remember that. On the other hand, humility is not about berating ourselves. It is about serving and exalting Christ. Practically speaking, humility comes when we discover that the greatest joy we have in life is giving life away. Reward is not our applause, but it's, it's rather the knowledge that we're able to serve Christ. Part of, part of what, what, what we ought to feel greatest about is that we are made to be least. We're made to serve. We're made to minister, to worship. And God is so great. And He is so wonderful. And He is so awesome. I don't mean awesome in today's way. I mean awesome as in full of awe. He is so awesome. And that kind of humility is not gained easily, but it can be gained intentionally. It's one of those kind of things that we have to discipline ourselves to do. Like so many things in our, in our walk with the Lord, when He opens us up to it, we have to be, we have to be uh, willing to discipline ourselves to, to do it. Because humility is not natural for us as humans, right? I mean, really. We're kind of hardwired hard to, to puff ourselves up a little bit. i got to talk good about myself because I'm not sure anybody else is. We're, we're kind of hardwired to do that. But there's a couple of ways in order for it to be developed. Acts, acts of humility have to be intentionally planned. They've got to be carried out consistently until it becomes a way of life. Like your prayer life. We have to be disciplined, right, in our prayer life. We have to be, uh, we have to sometimes get up and, and pray and spend time in our devotional when we're tired sometimes or, or when we when we got something else on our mind. We have to discipline ourselves to do that. And it's the same way with, with humility. Let's take a closer look at, at three ways. And of course there's three ways because we're good Baptists here. Three ways that humility can become an integral part of our church. Let's take a look at that. The first one is acts of hidden service. Acts of hidden service. One of the simplest ways to develop humility is by consciously doing things that nobody knows about. In the eyes of God, I think there's something very uh, healthy about doing an act of kindness and not taking credit for it. Right? My uh, grandfather was a butcher. And he used to, people would come into his store. He used to have, have little stores, little butcher shops. And, and usually the little butcher shops were in uh, economically depressed areas of town. And he had a couple of them over the course of his life. And people would come in and they would be hungry. And so he would, you know, fill their, their grocery list. And then he would open them up a, a little credit book. Y'all ever heard about those little credit books? They write it all down, and they would sign it, and they would agree to come back later and pay it. Well, when he retired, there must have been three or four cash-and-carry bags full of uncollected bills. And some folks in the family asked him, why don't you go after this? Why don't you, you know, why don't you collect these things? Why don't you call these people and tell them that they owe you money? And his response was always the same. He said, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Listen, I can't tell you how that is, has stuck 
with me. When we do acts of service, when we meet people's needs in the name of Jesus, it really only matters that the Lord knows. Because at the end of the day, He's the only one that matters. We shouldn't do things in the church because of who is going to see us do them. We shouldn't do things because of the accolades that we can get for, by being seen serving others. And by being, you know, that's the way the Pharisees thought, right? They, they wanted to make sure everybody saw them giving and make sure everyone saw them doing the things that they did. Because that's where they got some of their self-worth from was because they felt like they were greater than everybody else. Well, God calls us to acts of service that even the person who receives the service may not know who did it. Doing things, doing things, even though you will never, ever be repaid this side of heaven for that. We take joy in the simple fact that we do good. And I'm going to tell you something, that ought to sustain us, just to take joy in just the simple fact that, that we do good. In Matthew 6, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret... We'll reward you. Hidden service is healthy for our soul. Something of, of God's DNA begins to surface whenever we give without any strings attached. And we discover the joy of being God's messenger. Isn't that just... It, it, all of you have, have done that. At some point, you've done something. And, and just doesn't God just give you an awesome feeling about that? What I think Jesus is saying is let that be our reward. That God sees what we do and God rewards that. So acts of hidden service is a good way to maintain and to grow and develop our humility. How about remembering our mission? That's the second thing, remembering our mission. Consciously remind ourselves as the church that we have a mission to do and we must never forget that mission. We must never become distracted from the mission that God has given us. One practical way of staying true to that mission is to consider everything that we do as a church through the eyes of the person that the church is trying to reach. In most cases, that'll be a guest, a visitor. The problem is, though, that sometimes churches become uh, focused on serving the needs of the regular attendees week after week. We become inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. And the church is always called to be outwardly focused. We, uh, after a while, a church can fall into a rut of, of, con of continually preaching to the choir, no matter what the ministry is. If a family's new in town, can they find our church easily in the phone book or on the internet? Can they find out where we are? Do they know when our services are? When they pull up in our parking lot, are, are open places to park easy to find? Do we have ushers to welcome them and to answer questions they may have? 
What about our signage at the church? Is it adequate? Are our services welcoming? In addition, after we have taken a look at a, at a, at a program or a ministry or our, our church as a whole, after we've, after we've taken a look at everything through the lens of Scripture, what does God have to say about what we're doing? Then we take a look. Okay, who are we trying to reach? Well, we're trying to reach, first of all, the lost. And are we set up to welcome people into our fellowship? Are we set up? Is it part of our consciousness, our personality, to be welcoming, to be affirming, to say, we're glad you're here. We're just a broken family of, of believers that are doing our best to serve the Lord, and we, we want you to come along beside us and do that and bring, and bring your gifts and talents that God has given you and add them to, to ours so that together we will be stronger for the kingdom. Are we, are we doing that? Humility keeps us on track. It prevents us from adopting a kind of faulty perspective that the church is all about us. We've got a mission to do. We've got a mission to do. And our church must always keep in mind the focus of that mission. We are to take the gospel to the world. We are to minister and we are to teach and we're to witness and we're to serve in the name of Jesus for the glory of God the Father. That is what we do. That is what we're about. The mission of a church is never solely about getting people into the church. Yes, we do acknowledge the purpose of the service, the weekend service in the lives of people, that we are here to come together. And I'm going to tell you, I have missed y'all so much. I have missed standing here and looking out and seeing y'all. I've had to imagine y'all sitting in front of your television. Thinking to yourself, man, I can't believe this is one show I can't hit the fast forward button on. But that's not why we're here. A church's main mission is to equip believers to serve God every day. That is what we're here to do. We're here to equip believers to serve God every day. The main mission field lies outside the walls of the church. We come here to get the information that we need. We come here to be uplifted and recharged and re-energized. We come here to study and to pray and to worship together and to draw strength from the Holy Spirit to, you know, and from each other. But the goal, the mission is always to leave this place and impact our world for Christ. To change the world. The third way or the third thing that we can take a look at in our lives so that we can cultivate and develop healthy humility is about is the idea of handling credit handling credit the credit we're given when we do something good everybody likes a pat on the back right i'm no different than anybody else everybody likes a pat on the back but how do we handle that it might be something our 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 church has done in the community. It might be a, a good idea that we've had that's been implemented. It might be a particular accomplishment that we have. How do we handle our response to that? Where do we give the credit? The rule of thumb is that whenever credit is given, it's safe. Right? Whenever credit is given, it's safe. But whenever credit is taken or stolen... It's destructive. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. 
It's safe to accept credit, but it's not safe to demand it. Receive gifts that affirm your, your value, but don't perform for them. We're not, we're not performing for an audience. We're living and serving for an audience of one. Accept gratitude, but don't require it. Our faithfulness will bring accolades. It will. People will see something different in our lives and they will recognize that. They will recognize the, the, the leading of God in your life. They will recognize your obedience. And they'll, they'll bring it up to you. Why? Because it looks so different than the world around us. The way God wants us to live looks so different. But the need for attention should not drive us. The need for attention shouldn't drive us. Lewis, C.S. Lewis observed again, the trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I have pleased him all is well, to thinking, what a fine person I must be to have done it. Now, it'd be easy to have this discussion and think to ourselves, us? Me? Proud? Can't be. Well, pride can be very difficult for us to see. And, and often imperceptible, especially when it's inside. We look at ourselves and we tend not to see those things that we don't want to see. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 reminds us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the common consequence, right? You ever considered what a powerfully destructive force that pride can be? What pride can, 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 can do? Ask yourself this, how can our church truly remain a humble church? How can we remain a humble church? Do we have a, a keen sense of our mission? How can we ensure that we're not distracted? How can we be sure that we're not distracted from that mission? My prayer is that our church would understand the power, the power of humility. There are enough people that folks come in contact with that want to tell you how great they are. There are things, and I've learned a lot about the internet since I've been forced to, to live in it. There are people who go online and tell you how to dress and tell you what to think and tell you who you can be friends with. And these people are called influencers. That's a thing. Total strangers come onto the internet and tell you what to do. Influencers. These are people who think their lives are so together that they have the right and the ability to tell you how to live. Influencers. There are enough people out there trying to do that. The church is going to look different because we don't point to ourselves. We point to God. We don't point to ourselves. There is more, there is no greater joy than watching God do His job after we've done ours, right? After we've done the work we're called to do, after we've done the, the mission that God has given us, for God to then do what only God can do, and He can save people, and He can change them and transform them, and He can take people out of the depths of sin, and depravity, he can take them out of that and he can move them into a place where he sits, they sit at the table of God. We can't do that, only God can do that. 
Just ask yourself, if you will, who you'd rather be around. Somebody who's right 100% of the time and knows it. Or somebody who approaches everything thinking they've got something to learn. You see, our guests are no different than we are. Well, we're here, each one of us, because we have something to learn. Every one of us does. And those who are visiting with us, those who are our guests, need, need to know that. We're not here because, listen, if you're visiting with this church, we aren't here because we've got it right. We aren't here because we've got all the answers. Every one of us, from this pulpit to the very back, are here because we've got something to learn from the God of our creation. God continues to reveal himself to us in new and exciting ways every day. Even if we look at the same scripture every day, God's going to teach us something new about it. We've all got something to learn. Humility takes us before the throne of God in the appropriate posture. And that appropriate posture is on our faces in gratitude to God for who he is. Have you been there? Have you been on your face before God in gratitude? Maybe we need to see for the first time that we're not here based on anything we have done or could ever do, but because of everything God has done on our behalf. That's why we're here, because of everything God has done for us. You know, I don't know about y'all, but when I'm preparing for these sermons, and sometimes even when I'm giving, this, giving the messages, I'll study something and I'll read something, it'll remind me of a hymn or a song. You know? God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Do we understand that? Is that real for us today? Maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening today and you're struggling with that. What's my place in this world? How can a God that is love, and you, like you say he is, how, how is a, a God who is love, how, how, can he, how can he still want somebody like me? You don't know what I've done. No, I don't. And most people here probably don't either. But God does. And he loves you. He doesn't love the sin in your life. In fact, God will not tolerate sin. And the wages of sin, God's word tells us, is death. Separation from God forever. But Jesus came and paid the debt of your sin. So that one day you would confess that sin and accept the need for a Savior and accept Jesus as that person and give your life to Him and God will forgive you for all eternity. And if the knowledge of that doesn't drive you to your knees in humility, in utter and complete gratitude, 
then I just don't know what will. I mean, that's it's the most incredible gift, the most incredible act. And He did it for me and for you, not based on anything we did, but just because of who He is. He did that for me and for you and for everyone who would believe. Those of us who are in this room that understand that relationship with Jesus, that are growing in that relationship every day, that have the Holy Spirit living in them and guiding them and teaching them, want to come along beside you, new believer. Want to come along beside you and pray for you and lift you up and, and, and begin that process of discipleship where we grow. We grow as disciples. Every one of us do. We grow into the likeness of Christ. We try every day to grow into Christ's likeness. And we want you to join us on that path. And we want to do that understanding that it's everything that God does and not anything that we do. And that's where the basis of our humility will begin. When we do that together. Father, I just thank you so much for loving us. God, I thank you for everything that you've done for me that I cannot possibly begin to even know or imagine. God, I thank you for touching me and changing me. God, I thank you for everything that, that, everything that you are. Lord, your qualities and attributes that we can't even begin to understand. Lord, your greatness and your majesty and your holiness and your justice, Lord, they're beyond our comprehension. We fall on our faces before you, Father, in gratitude for everything that you have done. Everything that you promised to do, Lord, because we know your promises are true. We love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name.